From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Drew Deitch. He is the creator and co-host of the Genre Vision podcast and Finflix, as well as the chief content officer for Giant Friggin' Robot. Hello, Drew. It is so nice to finally meet you in person slash yeah, I, you know, camera. We, we we have been uh, uh, wonderful acquaintances over social media, and this is the first time that we're all getting together. And I could not be more excited because we, we all 
love horror and it clearly is uh gonna stick with us until we make our own way into the grave so why not talk about it exactly couldn't say it better myself said it said it perfectly no notes 10 out of 10 <laughs> put it on the poster <laughs> So you ha- you have your fins, shall we say, in a lot of different areas. Can you talk a little bit about Genre Vision and, and your FinFlix podcast? Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, Genre Vision has existed in one form or another for almost a decade now. It, it started out as a really? much... Yeah, well, Holy it started cow. out as, as a much more egotistical uh, named project, the Drew Reviews. But then when I got a new co-host and it was much more on kind of equal footing i was like i don't i don't want to call it this anymore it seems too egotistical and this is a both of us kind of thing and so we renamed it genre vision we re uh, we kind of played with the format and that a big part of the show became actually uh, what we call the shelf which is where we talk about a main topic movie but then we pick movies or other pieces of art that we think would be like good pairings with it and uh, then we had the listeners bring in their own shelf picks by commenting on the episodes at genrevision.com and it's grown into this wonderful movie club thing where everybody's recommending stuff to each other where it's a way to find stuff because these days it's like trying to just sort through things and find things and listen to people's opinions is is a whole nother you know batch of work on its own there's so much out there and there's There's so many things that fall through the cracks because there's just too much stuff to watch and read and stuff yeah and and genre vision was honestly our way of you know, kind of being able to be our own curators of the stuff we want to watch, but also for other people saying like, hey, you know, we if there's one thing we know in this life, it's movies. We can say that with some, you know, uh, a level of confidence and we want people to discover things that they probably wouldn't on their own. And then the real big passion project and the one that is the uh, the 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 most work and the nearest and dearest to mine and my co-host Travis Newton's heart is Finn Flicks. That's a very in-depth show in terms of every season has like a big theme and we have very specific criteria in the episodes. Like we talk about, you know, the best bite or the best kill in the movie type uh, stuff. And then in season two, we, we added a much stronger narrative structure where Travis and I actually became kind of characters in an ongoing story in relation to the movie Ooh. reviews. And we're currently in production on, on Finflix season three, which is oh, yeah. the most ambitious creative project I've ever undergone. It, it's definitely, we've definitely taken the um, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 influence to its height in that the story that's going on in season three is very MST3K uh, inspired and fun. And there is an ongoing arc that we're having to write. Um, so we're doing the reviews right now for it, like the review sections, but then we're also writing scripted material that Travis will be editing in, you know, sound effects and music and all sorts of stuff. And growing up where I did in in Southwest Florida, aquatic horror was always right out my window. So it was always going to be, uh, and and Travis himself is also from Florida. So we just kind of connected on this, like, hey, we both really like aquatic creature features. Maybe we should do something with that. I love that. And while that. we're speaking to a really horror. good crowd, especially Terry. <laughs> Terry is aquatic horror. When, well, not King, because it feels like you both are kind of in, in, in uh, competition I, I'm for King. But... I'm appreciative <laughs> of it, but I am not as in-depth as a lot of people are. 
I, 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 I will. It. I will take being an aquatic horror bard. I just want to travel the land and tell oh, people yeah. about it. So that's yeah. that's how I feel. That's that good. <laughs> did you make that thing that said my big don't touch me or my gay aquatic son? Was that you, Drew? I that did. Made that I did me? I have that you. saved on my phone and show it to everyone. I have it on my phone. It's been on my phone for years. Uh, uh, that's that so, is that you've warmed my to heart today. That, <laughs> it's beautiful. That warms my heart every time I see it and makes me feel very seen and loved. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm I'm curious what um what is like an aquatic horror movie? And I know you gave me a suggestion, and it might be that one on on Twitter when I was asking. But what is like an underseen aquatic horror movie that that you like to champion? Uh, I mean, this is not, I think, an underseen one, but it's one that was kind of a uh, season two of Finflix. Our our name of it was uh, Deeper Waters because we wanted to explore the variety of what aquatic horror even is, and the one that I. I hope is starting to be appreciated as a, a wonderful film is Anaconda. Anaconda is one of the great aquatic horror movies, but I don't okay. think it's, I don't think it's thought of as that because like, well, it's a big snake. It's like, well, yeah, but they're on a boat for most of it. And one of the best scenes is seeing Owen Wilson's CGI corpse face and a snake underwater. There's a lot the, the, the waterfall scene is great. That was actually our season finale because it was our big argument of like, we want to look at this in a broader perspective and Anaconda. I mean, for most of my life, Anaconda was nothing but like the butt of a joke. And I mm-hmm. was that kid who saw it at my friend's house at the right time. and was like, people don't like this. This is the most amazing thing ever. The snake is eating and throwing up John Voight. I could just watch that on replay. So, Hell yeah. but as far as one that I think is kind of off the beaten path and people will have to see, and I'm going to say it here in the hopes that somebody out there can find it and restore it is one we're actually doing for, this new season, and that is called uh, Creatures from the Abyss, also known as Plankton, which is this Italian 90s movie, but it's all with English-speaking actors, but done in the wonderful Italian way with no sound, everybody's dubbed over, (laughs) Uh, it's a bunch of kids end up on a science research yacht where I can't even tell you the things that they're doing on that yacht (laughs) without spoiling (laughs) some, some wonderful lines. But it really is like the aquatic creature feature Evil Dead. It just goes so nutso with the with the special effects and stuff. And it's one that I, I don't know if there's any plans or anybody out there trying to find it. But it's one of those, like, I'm telling you, if this if this suddenly showed up on a popular streaming service that people could see it and know about it, it would overnight grow a cult following. Um. Wow. I'm just reading just some letter, like letterbox stuff, just because I'm curious. And uh <laughs> The first thing I read was porn slash research yacht. So you've got me. Yeah. I, um, I, there is uh, a. Uh... You've got me so hard in terms of it being like a porn research yacht. And then. A yeah, that there's. there's, there's a, it's like a penis. I'll, spo- I'll spoil one strange thing about it. Is it's supposed Please. to be this very high tech yacht. And there's all these kind of like pre Siri video displays where some female assistant will be, you know, telling you what to do. So they'll go in the bathroom and they're, they're, they're going to take a shower. And this woman's on the screen in the shower, like, Ooh, yeah. Rub yourself all over. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> I, I have to watch this movie fucking immediately. It, it's oh so my great. God. It's so great. It, I, and that's, trust me, that's the tip of the iceberg with that. Oh one. my goodness. Uh, so, and I, Okay, wow, wow, <laughs> when wow, you, wow. When you recommended this on, on my Twitter, I did notice, I think there's a copy on YouTube, and I'm I'm added it to my list, because I am, 
I must. And after this conversation, I think I'm going to be watching it this weekend. Yeah, it, it's I mean, somebody needs to give that movie the love it deeply deserves. It is an absolute secret gonzo gem. And and if, if this does anything at all to get it out in the world, then I did my I did my due diligence. Hell yeah. Petition wow. to have. You shouldn't have Drew do something for the eventual creatures from the Abyss Blu-ray release, everybody. We're manifesting. Thank you. Thank We're you. We're manifesting. <laughs> I'll, do it for, I'll do it for a copy no. of the movie. Like. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, okay, so you, because you grew up in Florida, you had aquatic horror all around you. Like, what was the film that got you into aquatic horror? Was it, uh, I, was I, it, I mean, was it Jaws? No surprise. It's Jaws. Well, like, it, it's funny. Jaws... Jaws is my number one favorite movie. It, it always has been to a point where cool. I don't remember like a life without it. I couldn't tell you the first time I saw it. It's just something that feels like it's always been in my life. Okay. okay. I have like an image of a memory of sitting on the floor in my parents' bedroom with the TV up on the TV stand watching Jaws. Maybe that was the first time, but it, it was a wonderful kind of confluence of seeing Jaws and of course being absolutely riveted by it and and scared in the way i think a lot of people were scared but not in not not in the way that i've heard you know people being like oh you know i couldn't even go in a swimming pool you know after after jaws was like no i was actually deeply fascinated by it because it 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 helped power my love of sharks in real life and and learning about them my one of my first you know elementary school job wishes was like i want to be a marine biologist because i just want to work with sharks mm-hmm. but it was also incredibly important because it's the first movie i can remember where i wanted to know how they made the movie i i was oh. like i was very much like okay, okay i know this shark isn't real but it's still scaring me and it's still incredibly effective and i want to know how they did that and luckily whenever i got my first i actually know my first copy of jaws which also helped uh uh, turn me into the movie snob I am today was my aunt got me the letterboxed VHS so I could see it in the oh, proper yeah. aspect ratio. Um, so on on that they had a a, a shortened version of the um, Lauren Buzaru documentary, The Making of Jaws, at the end, and so immediately it was like, well, I associate Jaws with being curious about how movies are made as well. So it's oh. it's just this movie that has always been there and always been in the periphery. And and now it's like, I'm very happy to have it be, I guess, part of my brand, let's call it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Have you ever <laughs> swam with sharks? Uh, uh, technically, yes. I did get um, junior scuba certified and there were sharks there. My, my my best swimming thing as far as with animals was I got, I got to swim with manatees. They were adorable oh, and uh, oh, like just wonderful them. creatures. They were, they were so awesome. You know, there are rules like you can only touch them with one hand, but you can pet them and stuff. Like, so we got to go up and pet the manatees and they throw off a little, uh, you know, like rope net off the edge because the manatees like to chew on the ropes. So we got to like dive under and be underneath the net while they're chewing on the ropes and they just have their big jowls flapping. I'm like, this is so adorable and magical. I'd never want to leave. <laughs> That's amazing. That's my dream. I really want to swim with manatees. I love them. They're just like... Sea cows. I mean, they're called sea cows because they're mm-hmm. just cows of the sea. Yeah, they're they're beautiful animals. Just absolutely wonderful. Big, big, That's dopey so cool. bundles of love. That's so, That's cool. so cool. I love the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it, and I respect it enough to not fuck with it. You know what I mean? Like with those yeah, well, things, I'm like. I love the ocean so much, and we we're gonna leave her alone. We're just gonna let her live. Yeah, that that's that's honestly. Uh, a feeling I have as an adult now is, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't turn down certain opportunities but it's not something that i'm 
I'm not a beach going guy. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go out and just swim in the beach for a record. It's like, no, no, because if I go out there and something decides that it wants to figure out if I'm food or not, that's that's my fault. I got nobody to blame but myself. But no, yeah, I, I, the ocean is just a an absolutely constant presence in my life. Uh, you know, my, my dad grew up um, when he was a young man. He lived on a sailboat. Um, and when I was a teenager, we rented a sailboat and sailed down from Florida down to the, the islands, the dry Tortugas. Oh, that was a whole cool. adventure. Wow. We, we, I, I piloted the, uh, the sailboat on the way back and in the middle of the night in the middle of the storm and the rudder broke. Uh, <laughs> so that in the middle was a of the storm. Yeah. In, in the middle of the storm, uh, we, it was a rented boat. We had to get it back on time, which meant piloting through the night. And we, it was me, my brother and my dad, we slept in shifts. And of course I was the one who got the shift. You, got, the the one one who real, got you got the real pirate experience. <laughs> it, I, I, yeah. I, I got the absolute nightmare experience of just wow. <laughs> piloting in the boat. You know, I've, I've never been a super religious person, but I prayed so much <laughs> at the helm of that boat. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, holy shit. Wow. That's terrifying. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, as somebody who loves aquatic horror, I, I, I at least can say it's like, well, I have directly experienced it, um, because during, <laughs> during that, we moored, we, we dropped anchor on this structure that was out. I, I don't even, it was some kind of tower. I don't think we were legally supposed to do it, but, uh, we were, we were tying it down and my dad slipped on, on the, uh, uh, on the boat and I went to go up and make sure he was okay. And I slipped and fell off the boat in the middle of the night. Oh no. And, uh, what's so funny being somebody who has, uh, worn glasses since first grade, literally as I'm in midair, the first thing I did was just grab my face. So oh, my yeah. glasses would yep. not fall. <laughs> yep. Kids with glasses for instinct. life, man. The shit that we learn. <laughs> I was the exactly. same way with glasses. It was just like exactly. all the time whenever something happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's oh, yeah. an immediate instinct. So yes, I, I've I've engaged in some personal aquatic horror and hold no grudges towards the ocean for it. You can't, right? Like it's it's the ocean. It's just the ocean. <laughs> it's Mother Nature. I have yeah. realized as much as I love aquatic horror and as much as young Terry after seeing Jaws, you know. Okay, side note. I think it's funny how like well, not funny. I think it's really sad, but I think it's kind of funny how Jaws is like that that book like terrorized people to the point that you know everyone wanted to go kill sharks, whatever. Whereas for me. It made me want to become, like you, a marine biologist. I wanted yep. to study them. I wanted to do everything that I could to be near them. And then it turns out later in life, I am incredibly seasick. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on, I've been on like um, a, a fishing boat and I was vomiting over the side and chumming the waters. And I was on a small boat to go out to go with sharks, which is a different story that I'm not going to waste time on. And I got sick on that too. And I'm just like, Fuck. This is like what young Terry wanted to do. And old Terry's like, no, man, your tummy does not like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly ways you you can try and mitigate that. But some people just they just don't have the sea. I brought Dramamine with me, too. And I was like that. And I stared at the the, the horizon horizon. or like Mm -hmm. the land or whatever. And like to try to like and none of it. I was just no. That's that's a bummer. I I will say um, I definitely when I was younger was uh, not not seasick to the point of sickness, but absolutely because of my vision my um uh, i have nystagmus so it's very easy for my equ- equilibrium to get messed up oh, okay um so mm-hmm. when i was a kid it was like it's like oh i'm really worried but then as soon as i got in the water it was surprisingly calmer which you would think is like oh i'm in the ocean and anything can come at me and it's if you're scared of nothing in the ocean just the nothingness that can get you it's like no it was 
honestly, uh, one of the most serene experiences of my life oh. getting to dive under the ocean, which it, it, wow. it, I mean, it really is going to another planet. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it's wild. It is, it is absolutely something that if I ever have the financial means and time to do again, I will get recertified as an adult and, and scuba dive again, because it's something that, like you say, with, with Jaws, it's something that only inspired me more to respect the ocean, um, to, you know, do whatever little part I can in terms of conservation and stuff. And, and we've certainly yeah. been supportive of that on the FinFlix podcast. And it's kind of one of the reasons we did is like, we, we want to support and champion these movies that make you scared of sharks because it doesn't do that for us. It makes us love sharks more. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want, I want that philosophy to be out there in the world. Okay. What's your favorite shark? Oh, what is it today? Yeah, today. Because, yeah. What is it today? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have so much. I have like a shark little, uh, kitchen mat. That's just a bunch of, I, I love sharks. Uh, recently I've been very into the basking shark. Oh, bit, God, just, I love them it, with their big mouthy mouths. Yeah. Well, it, there was some video a while ago that people freaking out. I was like, look, it's a big shark. It's a big shark. And people were like, it's a basking shark. Literally. It's like the nicest shark you could have mm-hmm. next to a, a whale shark, which is a also beautiful. Shark, yeah. I love, there's a place in um, Scotland where you can go uh, snorkeling with them. Oh, that that's awesome. I've, I, uh, I've considered going before. Um, I haven't yet, but I want to go. They're so dopey. I love how dopey they look. <laughs> um, they've just got these like, big. They're dopey. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, well, it's, it's great when you see them with their mouths closed because they just look like they, they've just got this kind of like Eeyore <laughs> vibe about them. We're just like, yeah, mm, okay. And then they open their mouths and I just hear some, you know, like bad animal dubbing things like, oh, just like just going through the ocean yes. doing that. And, and oh, I just think it's <laughs> opera, the opera singers of the sea. Yes, exactly. Oh exactly. My God. So, love them. Love basking sharks. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh. I love sharks too, so I just love any opportunity to talk about sharks. Uh, same here. We all do. <laughs> yes, love them so much. Um, well, before this becomes Finflix Part Two, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's let's take it back to to being a kid. To being a kid, how did you get introduced to horror? It, it's so funny, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this a lot with other guests or even yourselves, but horror is my genre that I that I call home. But as a kid, I was the biggest scaredy cat in ever. Oh, I, I I have a vivid memory of daring myself to run down the video store uh, horror aisle section and try and look at the boxes because I couldn't even look at the boxes as a kid. They scared me so much. Oh. Okay, but to be fair, the boxes when they were when they were actual VHS and people actually did more than just put famous people's faces on them were terrifying. Oh, I I, I will never forget. Because we had a couple video stores growing up, but this particular one that we went to, one of them was the VHS cover for a movie Evil Ed, which is just a guy's head getting split in half with an axe. And I, yeah. like, looking back, I'm like, I can't believe that was on a store shelf. And, I know. And somebody didn't complain. The things they would get away with. Yeah. So I, I, I was not, like, my parents were not into horror, but they okay. they kind of were in, in a particular way in that my mom... At some point when she was growing up in the 70s, she went and saw horror movies. And when I was getting into horror, I would ask her, like, well, what are movies you remember going to see? And she's like, oh, well, you know, she was scarred by The Exorcist and Carrie and all that kind of stuff. My dad had no – he didn't find anything horror scary, but he loved horror comedy. He loved, like, Creep okay. Show and Tales from the Crypt. Um, we would watch those together. And so 
I, I really kind of got into horror as a way of making myself get over being scared of it. <laughs> it was, oh. it was kind of an opportunity. And, and, and when we get to our movie, this was a, a big moment in, in this journey. It was like, well, I'm, I'm deeply attracted to horror, but I'm definitely scared of it. So it was like incremental things like, well, you know, I would try and watch horror movies on TV, but when something scary came up, I would change the channel and then change it back. <laughs> okay. I, I think, that. I think the, the, the generation, you know, the, the millennial generation was kind of primed for certain types of horror and that I religiously watched, are you afraid of the dark? The okay. super formative show. I read goosebumps, you know, uh, this, kind of anthology campfire mentality about horror helped ease me into it as a kid by being like, okay, like it's, okay. it's okay f- to be scared of these things. And lots of, I mean, you know, the um, Alvin Schwartz, scary stories to tell in the dark books were super, yes. you know, Ugh. just made an incredible impression on me. Oh yeah. Those were those books that I like hated, but I loved looking at and always wanted to test it, that, myself that's, that was, about how that was long the thing. I could look at. Yep. And now I have a blanket with the cover. Me. I have a blanket now with the iconic cover of the guy with the red nose on my oh, bed, and I awesome. sleep with it every yeah. night. And my my and like the other side is the scarecrow. And one of my family members was like, "You were so scared of that as a child, and now you sleep with that on your <laughs> that, body every that, night." That, that's like, what's so amazing. No, <laughs> that's that's the kind of amazing thing about horror is like in in, yeah. in particular the memory I have. I I, I got the first uh, scary stories to tell in the dark book from the library. And I was like, okay, I know this is going to be scary, but I need to like amp myself up more. So I, as a kid, went under my bed and read it under my bed. So I was like, this is Matt. I'm, I'm in the monster's territory. Like, so if it's going to wow. happen, they're going to they're come in here. Okay. So the, my first memory of reading that collection is underneath my bed. And that was kind of this, like, I'm, I'm daring y'all. Come on. Like, you know, <laughs> like trying to put myself in the maximum so scary mindset. And that actually... Helped me, you know, to get over my my very base fear of horror as a kid, and also to see like, oh, it's okay. Like feeling that is good. Like it's it's a good feeling to kind of face these things in what is ultimately a really safe way. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's. I think that's one of the things about horror. You know, me growing like I I I never got in a fist fight as a kid. Like I was a very very reserved, shy, quiet kid. And I was very scared. Like I was scared of a lot of, you know, things and horror was kind of the way of like, okay, I'm also scared of these things, but I, I, at some point know that they can't hurt me. They can't actually get me. I, I might have an overactive imagination, but I at least understand the difference between fantasy and reality. And this is a really safe and eventually fun way to face these feelings and indulge these feelings. And so it was pretty much like, End of elementary school, I'm starting like, okay, yeah, like I, I want to get into this. And I remember I rented Carrie and it was like, well, it's a book. Got to read the book. So I bring the book to my fifth grade class. My teacher sees it and uh, she says, hey, I, you know, I, you, you like that Stephen King stuff? And I was like, well, it was, you know, the first one I'm reading, but I'm liking it. And she gives me, it wasn't her copy. It was her husband's copy, uh, the hardcover of Stephen King's It. I was so worried she was going to take it from you. I love her. I know. So well, I mean, oh, to, you know, so nice. uh, yeah, it, it's it is a landmark moment in my life that she clearly, you know, I mean, today she, someone will probably complain and get her arrested for doing that. But instead, she gave me this book and she was like, yeah, you know, my, my husband and I both read this. And if you like it, take it. And that period of time of me reading it, like for whatever that like kind of week was, that's all I remember doing. It was like I wasn't watching any TV. I wasn't like doing it. 
I was so enraptured into this yeah. book that she had given me. And it was it was a turning point because that book, you know, it does a lot of things. But one of the things is, is, is it is kind of a thesis on horror and particularly horror movies. Yep. And it really just planted that seed immediately. Like, wow, this is just it, the the boundaries of this genre are limit. Are, the only limit is the imagination. And uh, so I, I will like to go on the record for thank you, Mrs. Bache, for doing that. You changed my life and you rock. I remember getting in trouble for bringing Stephen King books to school. So <laughs> I this story is so fucking heartwarming. And I love that it was it because yep. what both like yeah, a dense wow. book. Jesus. <laughs> and it's also like full of very inappropriate stuff for a yes. fifth or a fifth grader, like which, generally which, speaking. Which is great. Like I was well, I, I think it was because I was one of the kids, like I just loved reading in, in school. I mean, I she did. knew. She was like yeah. she probably was like, This bookworm's gonna love this shit. And oh, you were yeah. like, well, Thank you. Well, because love you. We 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 used to have this th- I don't even know, you know, what what kids do anymore. We used to have this program, AR, accelerated reading, where it was like you took tests on the computer, um, mm-hmm. you know, on these books. And one of the things you could do because, you know, lots of kids didn't want to read. It was like, well, look, if you bring in your own book and you can write your own test for it. And that's all I did. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, so I brought in, I read Jaws and made an AR test for it. So I think there was definitely, it's like, okay, I don't think his parents are going to get mad if he comes home with this book. Because I think they're pretty cool <laughs> considering the books that he's bringing here. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> So, um, you know, in in that regard, I I definitely, even though my parents weren't into horror, they were always very supportive of whatever it was I was, you know, into at the time. They they all, yeah, they, you know, if it was music, if it was theater, they always were very supportive as long as they saw that it was something that I was passionate about. Like, I, I, I feel very lucky in the sense that I didn't have those parents were like, well, we want you to go into this thing because we Mm -hmm. want that. It was really like. That kid, he knows what he wants, so we'll just, it's cool by us, like, we'll support him. So when it was, when I got into middle school and was really like, that's when my film obsession and by extension, my horror obsession became just everything. I think at that point they were kind of like, well, the trains left the station. Like, there's there's nothing we can really do, so we might as well, he he wants some book about the the evil dead, we don't know what that is, but fine, like, he's... (laughs) He's fine. He's not. We don't have to worry about him. He's very well adjusted. <laughs> he just likes all this wacky stuff. So thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> hey, That's so I feel cool. like the wackier shit you like, the cooler you are because you just experience it on the page or on the screen. And then you're like, cool, I don't ever have to think. Well, or like, I'll just think about it there. In my <laughs> yeah. opinion. In my yeah, opinion. Same. So you were a really scared kid. Do you still get scared now from movies or are you jaded like Terry and I for the most part? You know, it, it's it's interesting. I always want to be open to the possibility of being scared. Like it, yeah. it's something that I yeah. always oh, yeah. want. And there are things in horror, particularly horror movies, that to this day it's like, oh, there, there's one I'll pull uh, is an image from Suspiria when uh, mm. the, the woman comes out of the closet and she's got the knife and she's just wide eyed and smiling that image, if I think about it, is like, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty pretty fucking scary. Uh, like, uh, but it, it's it's certainly something that I think as a emotional response and uh, to art, you kind of have to allow for yourself because if you're not like if you're going to be like, well, I don't, I'm not going to get scared because I don't get scared by things. Well, then you're probably not going to get scared. But if if it's like okay. 
I'm going to set the mood. I'm going to turn all the lights off. I'm going to close the windows. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do my part, at least, to try and get scared. And if I don't, I don't. That's okay. But there are still times when it's like, oh, yeah, that for whatever reason, something just clicks in your brain that's like, that's something that is really scary. That's a scary thing. Uh, you know, it's not so much to the point where it's like, well, I got to sleep with the, with the light on or anything. Um, yeah. But, but there are times when it's like, yeah, there's just... Particularly, I think, more so than, like, watching something and being like, ooh, I'm scared that a ghost is in my house. It's like, no, it'll just be like a fleeting few frames of an image from a film. There there was a recent instance of that in, in the movie Bo is Afraid, um, mm. which I won't spoil for anybody. But it was a very fleeting image of somebody's face. And it just, what for whatever reason, hit me to the corner. I was like, oh, I got to chill. Like, that was legitimately scary. While I'm certainly not reading books under the bed anymore... I do want to try, I think my, that spirit is still there. And it's like, I'm going to at least do my part to try and get scared by this movie that I think wants to scare me. Hell yeah. I love that. What was the last movie? Do you remember that, that really terrified you that you saw? Oh, the last, the last movie. Funny enough. I, I think it would probably be another Ari Aster film, Hereditary. Um, I got to see, I got to see a screening. Drink listeners. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, I, I got to see a screening of that, um, a critic screening, and it was a very small audience. And it wasn't so much like, ooh, this is really, you know, creeping me out. It was just immediately I saw the kind of like, oh, like, you know, this is being metaphorical about things like mental illness and things. And and seeing that displayed in that way is one of those things it's like, wow, this this kind of transcends just being a scary horror story. It's getting into something that's, you know, very, very... Uh, uncomfortable, which is, you know, what, what the genre can and, and should do when it wants to. Yeah. And, and I just remember walking out of that, that screening with a few other critics and we were just, you know, we were all just sitting there talking about pretty much like the last 15, 20 minute, minutes where it was like, this just got ups to a whole nother level to where we were all like, yeah, I think we just like total strangers. None of us knew each other, which we found out. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. Hey, I'm Drew. I'm, oh, I'm William. You know, all this. So it was like, yeah, we just like had to talk about this because we mm-hmm. all kind of experienced something um, together that was, that was very, very affecting. And yeah. in the sense, like that is another thing that I love about horror is like, even though it's putting you in an uncomfortable place, it can actually be the thing that helps you find other people and and yeah. share your experience oh, yeah. absolutely 100 oh, that's a good one it just it comes up an awful lot on the podcast so it's like that Does is a movie now? that has tr- yes every time we ask about the last movie that you saw that scared you that one nine times out of ten comes up let me be perfectly honest that, wow well I, I i i i'm not surprised considering it but yeah like it's it's definitely one that stuck with me we get that we sometimes get the dark and the wicked we sometimes get um is he terrified yet? i think No, terrified is the other one. Yeah. Mm. When you pick up some scratches because you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer because when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Well, Drew, we have talked about all of your amazing horror history and horror work. 
but what movie did you bring with you today for us to talk about? I brought Critters from 1986, directed and co-written by Stephen Herrick. Let me read the synopsis really quick before we jump into the discussion. (laughs) Okay, so for those unfamiliar with Critters... Um, and yes, people, we did talk about this on Little Cuts, but it does not count. So if anyone tries to say anything, yes, we've talked about this briefly before, but not briefly. And I did not share my story <laughs> with it as well. So. Ooh, okay. No, yes, that's right. Okay. But for those unfamiliar critters in Critters, when strange fuzzy creatures from outer space called the Krite arrive on a farm, the brown family must fend off the malevolent little aliens. Two bounty hunters with superhuman abilities follow the aggressive beasts from beyond, but the warriors aren't terribly affected, leave, effective, leaving the brown family to battle the furballs and rescue their daughter from their clutches all by themselves. What a synopsis, courtesy of... I didn't write that. That was IMDb, everybody. It was not okay. me. But I liked it, and so... <laughs> Got the job done. All right. So take us back, Drew. How old were you when you saw this? Um, how did you see this? Why is this your Scarred for Life pick? Give us your horror story. So going back to being terrified of VHS covers, at some point, I, I was five, six, or seven when I first saw this, and either through my my aunt who got me the Jaws letterboxed or our next door neighbor, Sherry, who also gave me a copy of Gremlins, one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. I got the VHS for Critters and the box are terrified. I didn't want to look at it. I had a little tiny movie cabinet in my room and I would put it in there. You know, so I just saw the spine. So for a long time, it was always like, oh, here's this movie and, and, I, and I know about it and I'm scared of the cover. I don't want to pull the cover out. And eventually, at some point, I decided it was like, all right, it's time. I'm going to pull that out. I'm not going to look at the cover, but I'm going to put the VHS in the in the player, and I'm going to watch Critters. And not planning this, because what, you know, the best laid plans of five, six, seven-year-olds, <laughs> I, I must have started the movie at like six o'clock or something in the evening, and it slowly got darker as it went on, which is what happens in the movie. The movie takes place True. over the course of a day and a night. So I kind of perfectly primed myself in terms of atmosphere, natural atmosphere. And uh, I remember from the first viewing being like, you know what? This isn't that scary. I was really surprised. I was like, okay, there's like space stuff. There's these cool bounty hunter aliens with glowing heads. And it's taking place on this nice farm with this nice family. Maybe it's going to be kind of more like sci-fi, you know, it's not going to be as as horror driven. <laughs> so so it was it was working perfectly. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big boy now and I'm watching the critters. <laughs> then it happened early in the movie after the crites have landed and uh, we know they're out and about doing critter stuff. The always wonderful and radiant D. Wallace is doing dishes at the sink. Uh, their cat, Chewy. Knocks over a trash lid outside in response to what we know is an incoming critter. And she drops the dish. She goes to pick it back up. She hears something and she leans back up and there's a window above the sink. And these two little red eyes just come out for maybe a second on film. Maybe a second. So good. And that moment to this day is something that's like, I I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's so... Pure. It's like the purest. It's just eyes in the dark. It's like a pure horror idea that I had really never kind of seen on on film before at that point, to my knowledge. And to this day, it's just like, yeah, red eyes in the dark. It seems like the simplest, most 
childish possible fear. Just red eyes looking yes. at you in the dark. Primal. And and that's it. Like after that, I was like, I am so goddamn terrified of what's coming. And then the critters started eating people, which I didn't, you know, I the critters are so interesting because like they they are, I think, a wonder of design. And in that they're also the perfect horror design in that they're all teeth. Like it's just teeth coming to eat you. Rose and I, rose of shark teeth, yep. basically. Uh, we'll talk okay. Continue your story. I, w- I, I want to talk about the crate. I have so many thoughts about. Oh, these we can we can fu- absolutely talk because this is when they really come into the movie. Is they they you, you know you get to see them and and there's other moments. I remember they go out to like the car and they're going to try and get in the car and there's a crate that jump scares them. It's like surprise, and that scared me. <laughs> but it it really came back to I I think that image of those red eyes just planted something in my brain that. For years, and yeah, I mean, only I want to say in the last when I was in like my mid twenties that I stopped having nightmares about the critters. Wow, okay, no way. Which is so like I I wasn't like as I grew up, I loved the movies, I saw all the movies, I own all the movies, I I love the I love the, the the Kyoto designs and everything, but for whatever reason, they would continue to pop up in my dreams in nightmare form, like wild, and it was something that. I thought about for the longest time. I was like, why, why do these things keep showing up? Cause I'm not like in my day to day life, I can walk through and not be like, man, I hope any don't know critters show up. Cause that would scare me. But in my dreams, I would have like one very vivid one is I remember being in this really dark warehouse, trying to escape from the critters and being like, I'm, I'm going to be safe in here. And for whatever reason, I have a match. I light the match and the entire warehouse is just covered in critters. Oh God, that's like my spider nightmares that I have recurring, yeah, just yeah. critters. Like that is, that's not fun. Yeah, I think it might be, it might've been some kind of, you know, like pest type fear in general. But yeah, at some point I had a dream where I befriended a critter and he became my pet and friend. And ever since then, I've never had critter nightmares. So, so, oh, so your subconscious is at peace. Yes, exactly. But now that, that, that moment, I think what's also funny about, the fact that I was allowed to watch Critters alone by myself is, you know, my parents weren't like horrible police about the kind of stuff I watched, but they weren't so liberal to the point of like, ah, I'll watch anything. We don't care. And I yeah. think they were okay with me getting a copy of Critters because they looked at the bag and like, oh, it's PG-13. Like, you know, he's fine. He's, even though he's, you know, five, Same six, my seven. Parents. Yeah, Same they're like, my it, parents. It's, it's PG-13. Nothing, nothing too bad is going to be in that. Not knowing that it's not, you know, over uh, an overabundance of violence or nudity that they had to be worried about. It was just a pair of eyes that would send me screaming. Okay, but like the eyes, but like the critters are fucking vicious. And I remember the first time I watched this movie, which was actually very recently. I hadn't seen this until last year. For little actually. Cuts, right? Yeah, in August of last that was year. That's the first I saw time you saw it. Wow. Yeah. I uh, I had never seen it. I had just okay. I again like this terrible thing where I thought it was a Gremlins knockoff, and I didn't really know anything about it other than like, oh, it's like fuzzy little dudes, and I just like I just like didn't ca- I didn't really care, which sounds terrible, but that's where my brain was. Well, uh, fool, tr- fool of me. I don't know what the fuck that even means. I was a fool, <laughs> is what I mean to say. Fool of me, bitch. What? Um, it's it's I was a, a Tuesday. Fool. I was a fool because I love critters. It is not. It is. It's. It's pretty cruel. Like for yeah, a PG thirteen movie, like it's mean as shit. Like this family. Like I was fully prepared to watch them all die. Like it was 
shockingly violent for what I was expecting. And I love, but I love that because it's really, I love how disarming it is where like the poster that I'm looking at is like the critter smiling with the big teeth and the nails and like that's mm-hmm. scary, but it's got the mischievous, like I'm a silly boy vibe. And oh, like, yeah. yeah, they're a little silly, but they're also he looks really goofy scary. on the cover. Like they look goofy, and I think that's the thing. I was like, oh, they're like the they're again like, and I know that I, this comparison is like pretty common of thinking it's like the, about gremlins, but not really because the fucking Krite are, are intergalactic space criminals, which I like. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the other ones, so I don't know like how okay. that comes up again. But like, I just love that we start like and like Drew, like your experience as a child, me as a twenty nine year old woman. Was like, oh, we're in space. Oh, this is like going to be like a weird ass sci fi movie, isn't it? Like, it's mm-hmm. going to be kind of cheesy because they've got like the actually pretty incredible alien Star design. Wars knockoff. Yeah, yeah well, Star I, Wars knockoff. Though for real, is that what we call? That's we talked about that. Did I say I think, that? Yeah, I, did I don't call remember it Star who Wars. said it, but mm-hmm. we talked about it. Looks like a Star Wars knockoff. It's incredible. It's fucking incredible. And then it just becomes something completely different, like a one day. Not single location, but almost, yeah, like, absolute destruction. It's baby's first home invasion movie for it, me. It's, it's, yes. it's, a, it's a sci-fi Western, and the, the, the screenwriter, um, Brian Dominic Muir, directly said that. He's like, it's it's a Western siege movie. It's like Rio Bravo, but mm. I wanted to do aliens instead of cowboys, you know? Don't so, forget the Alamo, but it's, it's yes. critters. Uh, so I, I <laughs> the, the entire bounty hunter aspect and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a sci-fi Western horror movie. It's so and, and yeah, the Krites are just like, I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on, on the sequel, uh, Mary, certainly the second one, because I think Critters 2 is what people think of when they think of Critters. Because Critters, baby. Yeah, and, and I love Critters 2, but it's much more of a, like, it skews way more into the comedy aspect. It embraces the comedy. It, mm-hmm. it, it embraces yes. being a Gremlins knockoff, um, because mm-hmm. the, the first one got was around as a script before gremlins happened, but then gremlins happened and they, and like everything, it's like, what do we got? That's anything like this. Oh, this thing, boom, do it. And so like it, I think that while they have some, you know, they have the critters rag, which I love when they're in the bedroom and tearing stuff up and biting the head off the ET puppet and things like that. It's like, okay, this was like, this was very much the, like, you need to make it more like that gremlins because the gremlins made money, but the actual crite stuff is like, yeah, they're, they're little mean fuckers who, like, who, who literally curse. That's another a wonderful. Oh, that's right. The, God, fucks. The, 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 <laughs> a moment during my scarred for life screening of this as a kid until a certain point. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm legitimately scared. This is really scary. But then, and don't ask me why at this age I knew that they were saying fuck, but I knew it. Uh, that moment happens where they one of them goes, they have weapons. The other one's like, so what? So what? <laughs> boom. Fuck. Uh, and I, I re- almost pissed myself <laughs> laughing when that happened. I was like, so this. that's what I was like. I think this might be a perfect movie. Like, I think that this is one of the best movies ever made by any human being. Like, I'm uh, thank you. What? I'm glad to not be alone. Uh, that thought this movie uh, is so ridiculous. The fuck, it's so good. It really is. <laughs> it's just like, sorry, so I much, like, no, so much I, 80s I love- things like squished together, and it somehow works and makes sense. We got a little bit of Star Wars. We have a little bit of like, like the home invasion stuff. That we get, we got, we got this all this like stuff happening and gender changing uh, bounty hunters, and yet works and 
I love that. You can't forget the quintessential 80s movie rock and roll montage that somehow has to factor into the plot (laughs) and then that's where one of our bounty hunters gets his sick look from is from the lead singer of a hair metal band which the last time i was watching this was so weird for me because i'm staring at him going why do i know who this is uh and it's because it's terrence mann who i know from 30 rock because he played Deep Sea Explorer, bringing this back to uh, hey. to Aquatic Horror, he played Deep Sea Explorer Bob Ballard. And he, <laughs> it was Terrence Here. Mann. And so, like, that is what I'm drawn to. And I was like, it's Ter- it's Bob Ballard is what I finally, I was like, why does he look so familiar? And I shouted it the last time I was watching. It's Bob oh fucking Ballard. Oh, my God. I, so I, there you go. I was the only kid in my class uh, belting out lines from johnny Steele's power of the night power uh, of the night which i which i will not uh <laughs> which i will not recount here but uh no like i there there is there is a a as an adult you know i see it as like oh yeah there's a wonderful kind of diy feel to uh, mm-hmm. certain elements of critters and like you know we talk about the the star wars stuff in the open it's like yeah it, it it's it's not just a Star Wars. It looks like it's a Corman movie, like ripping it off does. Star mm-hmm. Wars. Yeah, like it's cheesy, but it like knows what it's doing in terms of the cheese. And like the yeah. alien specifically with its giant head and like, but not really a head. It's all just like shoulder kind of <laughs> whatever's <laughs> happening there. It's just like an egg. But yeah. Listeners, I wish you could see how Mary Beth is, is trying to <laughs> trying show to... this. It's great. Well, what, what I what I love about one of the things I love about Critters is I think you could just do the movie as the, hey, aliens land in a farm and, and attack a, a family. It's essentially kind of a, a, a redo of um, Invaders from Mars, the, the, the 50s mm-hmm. movie, which actually, funny enough, got a remake two months later after Critters came out. Very, like very Toby Hooper, right? Yep, the Toby Hooper remake came out two months after Critters. But you could do that and it'd be fine. But then you have the alien bounty hunters, which is this whole other element and really... I've seen, you know, descriptions like it's kind of its own other movie. And I'm like, I'm fine with that because it's wonderful. Like having them come around every line with them when they're trying to find something to turn into to blend in with the the planet's population, which is a great sci fi idea. It's like, oh, you would send them. They have to blend in. Great. And one of them turns into the lovely uh, blocked Heron's man. That's Heron's man. I was thinking of his hair. Terrence man. Um <laughs> Um, but the other one just turns to him and says, nothing likes me, which is such a great line. I I think I missed that line the first time I watched it, because this time I was cackling and like loving the idea of these guys coming down and just, it made me feel so funny, like weirdly gender affirmed and like, okay, we can just all come down and look like weird ass, like green globs. And then if we find something that kind of tickles our fancy, then shit. All right, cool. We'll like go through some really creepy, really well done practical transformation effects. Yeah. Oh, that, that that reverse melt on the yes, head that they is it's so, so good. good. Like again, I know that the critters will get a lot of attention for the effects work, but that too is like like between mm-hmm. the alien stuff, because look, that's crazy that's like a crazy extra thing to add onto a fucking budget for a movie. So like mm-hmm. they went all out. And I respect that. It's fu- it's like kind of bizarre, but again, it adds to like the whole vibe of this movie and also like lets the Chiodos brothers like 
flex even more of their work and it's just yeah. it's really cool it's it, it it makes it more unique i think it like does I said, yeah. absolutely i think i think if it was just aliens land and attack you know it, it's essentially what uh the, the the movie night skies that spielberg was trying to make which is it, you know this mm. is based off of a i think it's uh kelly hopkinsville encounter you know a supposed attack by uh, a farm that was supposedly attacked by aliens so it's like you could do that and it would yeah. work and it would be fun but having this alien bounty hunter, more Western aspect to it is like, OK, this is now something in a league of its own. This is something unique and different. And it's just always been it's one of the things that every time I rewatch the movie, I fall in love with more and more. I'm like, oh, I just love the bounty hunters. I do, too. And I love what I love. And I, I had this I've had this realization a couple of times. And actually, uh, Joshua Anderson, former guest of the show, has written an article on um, Gaily Dreadful for Pride like two years ago about the gender fluidity of these characters because it happens more in the second one and correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a while since I've seen it but there's a moment where one of the the, the uh, bounty hunters is again struggling to find someone and he looks at Charlie and Charlie like holds up a magazine to like not be not be have him transform into him and it's a centerfold um, woman centerfold yes. and so he he finds that as being his form and becomes her. And it, it's like, I love that, that we're in this eighties thing. And I, I, it's not intentional. It's just, it's, it's played for kind of a joke. It's funny. Ha ha. You know, but there are some, some aspects of this that like, I think a deep gender reading could be done on. And I, I love that that's happening in this silly movie about fucking balls of fur. Space piranhas, <laughs> essentially. Um, Basically. Space yes. Piranhas. They are yes. space piranhas. That's, that's all that's, they are. They, but they have some wonderful attitude and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I love certainly, I, I like you said, I don't think it's intentional, but in the second one, he continues to, uh, they, they give them names in the second one, Ugg and Lee. Get it? Ugg and Lee. Um, so, uh, huh. but no, the, the- Ugg is Terrence Mann. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and for whatever reason, well, the reason is because he's Terrence Mann. He's just decided to stay as Terrence Mann forever, I guess. I mean, because I mean, they want to- Why not? So. I mean, sure, yeah, but they, they just- they want to keep casting Terrence Mann and he wants to keep getting a paycheck. So more power to him. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of the bounty hunter, the, 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 the bounty hunter in the original, not being able to choose a form that works for him. It, it, it is played for comedy in the first one as well, but it is also really uh, like when, when there's a, a sheriff's deputy that gets killed and he sees his body and turns into the corpse, ver the attack the version corpse. of his body yes. with the and wounds. And I don't think I realized that until this watch. And I was like, oh, my God, it is a corpse. Yes. <laughs> I don't and, know why I never picked up on that before. And, and then when he changes again, because they, <laughs> they they just tear through the town of Grover's bed. They, they, uh, they sure drive do. a car into a, a church service. And he sees the minister and he turns into the minister. They have this great close up on his face where they see like the neck wound throbbing uh -huh. as it's changing. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, this is so like, again, this could kind of be its own movie. But putting these two movies together actually makes those two ideas better, like mm -hmm. as companions. I yeah, agree. Absolutely. Wait, Terry, I want to hear your story about this, by the way. <laughs> yeah. OK, so first of all. I remember walking and seeing this the poster, the the box art of the same one that's on IMDb of the 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 big critter, and this poster, especially in a time where you don't have like ready ready access to trailers or any information about a movie, I thought that this was the creature. Like I thought it was just going to be this big hulking creature, and Ooh. so I'm watching this movie, and we don't see the the critters that much in the very beginning. It's it's sort of like 
critter POV or they're hiding under something, under the cop car or whatever. But, like, we don't see them. And so I'm still imagining this thing, this kind of goofy, big creature. And sort of like you, it for me, the moment that I have seared in my mind is eyes, but it's the eyes in the basement of the farmhouse. Yes, yes. Where like, they're, they're kind of silver, and all you see are these two glinting eyes, and it's, it's, it's played very subtly. It's not... It's not as drawn to necessarily as like Helen's experience with it. Yes. But they're, they just stare at you and it's like, that's fucking creepy. And here's the thing. My grandparents lived in a farmhouse and I remember I have a vivid memory of seeing this movie and somehow weirdly enough in my mind, I, I'm pretty sure that I saw this before we were going to take our first vacation out of Alaska down to go visit my grandparents in the farm. And so I see this movie about a farm that is besieged by these giant, these little furballs, which surprised me once they were furballs. I was like, this is not what the movie told me it was going to be. And so I'm already <laughs> on edge. We're in the, the basement of this, this farmhouse. The father is getting fucking destroyed. Oh, He's yeah. He is a fucking punching bag in this movie. He is fucked he up is. in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting his shoulder bit. He's having spines shoot out. I'm like, what is yes! happening? Like, I was not prepared for any of this as a kid. And the movie scared me. I remember I could not finish it the first time. So I never got to see the big Wait, alien oh, thing because I, I don't remember. That's the okay, thing. I had okay. to be. I had to be probably like it came out in 86. So I would have been five when it came out, but I did not see it right away. So I'm guessing somewhere around eight, eight ish, nine ish, 10 ish at the most. Because okay. um, I remember we still lived in Alaska when I saw it. And so I okay. know that it had to be sometime in that in that time period. But I couldn't finish the movie because I remember them trying to get the father up and it's shooting spines at them and it's chewing on his shoulder. We get inside the house. The mom is freaking out. She's playing the kind of typical hysterical woman trope in, in horror yeah. movies. But she is, she is freaking out. The dad is freaking out. And I'm just thinking – these are people that are supposed to keep people safe and they're not keeping mm. people safe. They are being fucking destroyed and I couldn't handle it anymore. So I kind of turned it off and I was thinking, there is nothing funny about this movie. Why do people think this is a funny movie <laughs> is what I remember thinking. Then we go to my grandparents' house, which is a fucking farm in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that looks kind of like this. And I remember getting out of the car going, no, no, absolutely not. Where? <laughs> and I had a nightmare that night. Appropriately oh, so. It's, it's seared in my head. It's very vivid. I have this memory of we are in, in my, my grandparents' house in the basement. My, my grandma was a hoarder. I didn't know this at the time. But like. You go in the basement and there is like stacks of newspaper, stacks of old okay. microwave dinner type trays, not microwave, but like oven, like those kind yeah. of TV dinner type stuff. Because uh -huh. back in the day, they were made with like real aluminum. And so she had stacks mm. of trays, stacks of old newspapers, stacks of magazines, all kind of moldy. It had this horrible kind of gross smell to it. And I remember going down the basement one time and going, I, I can't, I can't do this. And so in my dream, I vividly remember there being a kind of grayish silver, I guess probably the reason why is this is this cover now that I'm looking at it, I didn't put it together, but it was a small fur ball and it was terrorizing my parents. And I remember it shooting a spine, one of this little quill thingies into the neck of my mom and her falling over and not being able to move. And this is oh. my dream in the fucking farmhouse, my which is the critters have infiltrated both of your psyches. Y'all are yes. fucked up. Yes, this absolutely. Holy so, shit. You know, like this is the benefit that you have of watching it as an adult. <laughs> yeah, you, you I, I have not had any. I have not had nightmares. I have not had any nightmares in this movie. But I, it's funny, but it is not. It's one of those like horror 
with com- with comedy to me. With comedy, I think. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, like, there's it's, it's humor a, to it's it. It's a super funny movie, and even as a kid, I mean, that moment of D. Wallace with her double barrel shotgun blowing a critter away and it going fuck. Even as a kid, I was like, oh, this is fun. It's okay to laugh. Like, it's a release. I was from not the- that way. <laughs> it, it was, I was thankfully able to. Terry's like, get me the fuck out of this shit. I cannot do this. Fuck this. But I'm I'm very glad you brought that moment up, Terry, with the, the eyes in the basement, because I wore out my VHS copy of this as a kid, and I didn't see that moment until the movie uh, hit DVD, and I got it on DVD. Oh, wow. Because, like you said, it's a more subtle thing. It's he's It really uh, is. Uh, uh, Billy Green Bush is, is got his flashlight. He thinks he hears something. And what's brilliant is they show a shot of the shelves, and we don't see anything at first. Yeah. Then, we he- then we hear a noise. He passes the light over. And if you know what you're looking at, you can see it's like, oh, there's a critter right there, and that's his eyes. And then they cut back to Billy Greenbush. He's approaching, cut back to the shelf, and it's hunched over and doing whatever it's doing. It's moving, and you're like, what is yeah, happening? You're like, okay, something is definitely there. And I think there's little things about, you know, this this directed by Stephen Herrick, who probably is most well known for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, another so random sci-fi staple. Um, but he also helped co-write this because the, the original version of the movie was apparently like very hard R directly like horror. And mm-hmm. because this got greenlit after gremlins, they're like, well, we ain't, we ain't making an R rated <laughs> movie. We're making that money. So make it PG 13. And, and Herrick did the rewrite to, to make it a, a lot more palatable in that regard. And, and there are still funny moments. Um, uh, even as a kid, I remember laughing when, one of the critters gets torched and there's another one on the steps and it just goes, ah, and its hair stands up. <laughs> yeah. And then the fiery one goes and goes into the toilet. Like there was still the fun stuff to be had. Yeah. A little ghoulies moment right there. Yeah. Yes, yes definitely. A, a nice nod to Charles band there. Yeah. It, it, it was a movie that I, I feel that obviously it was very successful. And when the sequel came out, the sequel was like, well, you kind of can't, do that again so it is like let's let's just go full bore fun the critters aren't e- the critters are even brighter they're more gr- they're gray now in the sequel mm-hmm. and i know the kyoto's talked about like that was honestly a practical thing because they used like yak hair in the first one for the critters oh. and they're like it was so matted and hard to deal with but it was so dark like they liked how dark it looked mm-hmm. but then they're like it was so hard to deal with so when they did the sequel they're like we're getting different hair and it's going to be brighter because mcgarris is going to you know they, they made it a much brighter more uh, a lighthearted movie. It's more of a Gremlins movie than the yeah. first one, but that that first one it just still has. I'm su- I'm still surprised at the moments that when I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that there's just something about the perfection of these things design of just they are just little tiny fur balls with red eyes and just giant grinning teeth. It's it's the kind of creature design that I think is the most effective because it, it it's something that does feel like. It does feel very simple and almost like it, it feels like something that would be in a kid's nightmare. There was this right. furball with teeth that came at me. Sounds like a a dream monster, uh, except they actually made it. <laughs> what I love about the – is it Kyoto? Is that how you say it? Or Chiodo? I, I, it's Kyoto or Chiodo, but I don't think – Kyoto, okay. Oh, don't judge us, y'all. Well, <laughs> yeah, don't judge. <laughs> But Sorry. the one thing I love about about the the Kyoto brothers is the fact that their creations are very like whimsically macabre. 
like between the killer yeah. clowns from outer space and this, there's something kind of goofy and silly about them, but also like terrifying. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, Drew, because you're talking about how they feel like it's out of a kid's nightmare. And I think that's true. It's like that kind of thing where they feel like they could almost be something you'd want to like reach out and hug and like and, yes. and, and enjoy. But at the same time, that mouth is full of fucking teeth, just like the 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 fucking killer clowns that are are cute and whimsical and kind of doopy goopy like but they're also horrifying and so i love that that that's kind of their their mix in in films and i i wish i wish we had more of them honestly yeah it's it you know i i i've seen this uh subgenre of horror dubbed gremcore uh you know little monsters running about and and it is a subgenre that i have a, a particular affinity for and and i think it's just something that was more uh I would say not not necessarily acceptable, but just more embraced in the 80s. And as time, mm-hmm. it's funny. I remember an interview with Jordan Peele, of all people, and he brought up Critters. And he was like Duh. talking about movies and he goes, you know, Critters is a movie I watched a lot as a kid. It's not a, it's not a good movie, but, you know, it's and, and I immediately want to be like, well, if I ever get a chance to sit down with Jordan Peele, I'm immediately going to be like, so you said Critters wasn't a good movie. <laughs> what do you mean by um, that? <laughs> explain it's yourself that. i was like so yeah elaborate because um i'm on the other side of that fence uh i think it's i i think it's not only a good movie i think it's kind of a, a minor masterpiece of of the era gremlins which gets all the play and is wonderful i like to watch it every christmas gremlins is more directly magical and and even more so whimsical like it has the gremlins are outright goofballs you know breaking the fourth wall and stuff and there's a there's a potential to the menace of critters that i think has been diluted as time goes on it's not helped by the like the mini series and where it's just like embracing the silliness like yeah. it, it kind of diminishes their the menace behind that yeah silliness. The, yeah the critters and new binge web series uh is a thing that exists i don't recommend it, it to anybody the last movie that they made for for uh, direct video critters attack it's it's not great but at least it's like okay you're trying to you're trying to get things back on the right track i feel like it it feels it feels the closest to the first movie in terms of intention you know pretty much since the first one but it, it it's it's just kind of hampered by its budget and and its reach uh, exceeds its grasp but i'm glad to see that i feel like people are kind of coming around to, to the first Critters. Again, I, I think that's yeah. helped by Critters too. I You know, I'm telling you, I think this is a series that is primed for a requel. I would like to see <gasps> D. Wallace, Billy Greenbush, <gasps> Scott Grimes, April, uh, Nadine Van Der Veld, like, come back and have to deal with this again. I think that's what I want. I, I, I will not, I will not give my Critters pitch, but I will say uh, that, because I, of course, have one, uh, I will say that I do think that there is a a an avenue for critters to come back in a way that harkens mostly back to the first one because it is this kind of cult little franchise. Like I own all the movies, I've seen all of them. I've used Critters Four to help my insomnia, and and it's not even the worst Critters movie. I don't think I've seen Four. I think I've only seen the first. Is Three the one with Leo? Yes, Three is is Leonardo okay, DiCaprio's the, feature film three. debut. 
Yeah. Did we talk about Billy Zane in this one, in the first one yet? We have no, okay, no. We let, have let's can not. we just like I just want to like because we're getting towards the end of our conversation, and I really just want to bring up the fact that Billy Zane is in this as the boyfriend of April, who April is aggressively trying to fuck like the entire <laughs> so time. Good. Like she is like trying, and you know what? I love a good horny female teenager. We don't yes. see enough of Thank horny you. women in movies coming onto boys. And Thank guess you. what? Teenage girls are horny too and want to fuck. So like, it's just, an, it's like, again, in the eighties, a weird, nice little inversion of like gender dynamics in these scenarios and uh-huh. showing that like, oh no, like women can be pushy too. And I just, I love that. You know, it's like a small thing, but I think it's in a, kind of important in like the grand scheme I, of horror. I am so stoked that you brought that up because when I, when I rewatched the movie last night, and it's, you know, I've seen it a billion times. One of the things that I liked and keyed in on the most is Billy Zane's character, Steve, with his uh, uh, sports car that ain't going to be hauling much hay, according to uh, April's dad. <laughs> his license plate holder says, I don't give a shit what your other car is. And I never realized that <laughs> until this watch. It's and great. it's too great. Too GR8. Like Steve is this is this wonderful, like he's an 80s hunk, but Ugh, he's he's so like... He, he, he's, I mean, he's Billy Zane. So of course he's uh, absolutely just gorgeous. Gorgeous. He is like this soft spoken, trying to be as polite as possible guy. And I love the dinner scene where yes. a- a- April, you know, grabs his thigh and he kind of reacts and they have a reaction shot of D Wallace smiling. Like I know what's going on and she's super cool about it. Like she's super mm-hmm. cool. So when they're rushing out and she's like, you know, Steve said, he's going to give me a ride in his new car. And he's like, I did. Uh, uh, yeah, sure, I did. Uh, it was really great, Mrs. Brown. Da, 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 and she's leaving, and the dad. But Jay, you can tell he doesn't want to leave. He's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what, he's what is the best? Okay, best I guess we're leaving now. He yeah, like, he's to like, hang out really, with Mrs. Brown. It's he's trying to be like the he's he's on such good behavior. He's mm-hmm. on such good boyfriend behavior, and April is like, man, I want to fuck. I got and needs. So, 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 I'm gonna take you to the bar and fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she takes it out. And I love the exchange between Billy Green Bush and D. Wallace where he goes, you know, Helen, if, if, if you told her about, you know, the way things are and D. Wallace's delivery of just years ago is so perfect. It's And then it's followed up by him going years, like <laughs> the perfect dad shocked. And she's just like, Donnie. We bit it's you're you're Pat way behind the head, curve. Walk away. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's like it's like oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> it's like oh. <laughs> and like they go to the hayloft, and again, he's like, I don't know if we should be doing this. Like your dad is like gonna get mad at me, and I'm allergic yeah. to the hay. And she's like, shut <laughs> up. And like, puts on, it's just, and then I I just love it. I just again I love it showing a horny. Like, again, this is not to be creepy, but I mean, in showing that, like, young women have sexual desire and they are not inc- always put upon by creepy boys. Like, it's important no, she, to see that. She, and, like, she is uh, – I, I love Nadine Vanderveld in this movie. Um, I, I love – her performance of April as like she's the power sibling because the yeah. the real like main character of the movie is Scott Grimes mm-hmm. and it's obviously you know trying to capture that particular boys adventure scary yep. horror perspective but yeah. i love how how much April plays into the story so much yeah. so that you know like he he has to cover for Charlie for hitting her on the butt with the slingshot which is why he gets grounded so he can See the the ship crashing from his room, so he sneaks out of his room. No movies for two weeks. That's right. No <laughs> movies for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jay. Like, 
I know D Wallace gets kind of stereotyped as as the 80s mom. She's so great in this. Like, she's so I, like and she's like very much the hysterical mom a little bit, which like gets a little bit like Aww. When it when it all starts coming down, what I actually like is before everything goes down, she is like she there there's a great moment where they're having all of this banter and drama at the at the breakfast table and everybody leaves to go out for school and she sit down she sits down and she's like Thank you for the wonderful breakfast, mother. Like <laughs> just this And that's the thing, it's like I think that it just it's it's a bummer because there's more to her before it all gets going, and then I feel like she is kind of reduced to like a screaming unable and and i say this but then at the same time it's like how the fuck would i react in that scenario you know what i mean so it's like and juggling, I, I, like I, i'm juggling it back and forth of like a oh, screaming woman but also like well i mean like what the fuck would i be doing kind of also so i don't know i mean she's all of us if we were faced with this let's be honest yeah. but in the in the realm of this movie where she's the only one who is like panicked and screaming and she's just reduced to sort of like i was really surprised at one point that, she, that someone just doesn't slap her because that is also like a big right, thing in the movies trophy. whenever there's like a hysterical woman and i'm using quotations listeners is that moment of like snap out of it you know and so like it it plays into that trope a little a little too much for me but like i i just think it's it does her kind of does her kind of bad in that moment because i think her character is really interesting up until the point when she in, just in, is, in, is in, in defense in a couple defenses i will say one they at least I, I like that they actually take the dad out pretty early so she's actually the one that has to handle the shotgun a lot yeah and that's, she's that's the one blowing, she's blowing critters she she blows away the critter that she leads sure to the does. great fuck so fuck. but I, <laughs> the, the particular moment that i think that, that, that i think's uh being focused on is when she asks scott grimes to to go checks like the windows and stuff and he's like i already checked them and she just screams i'm like well check them again and instead of the slap you moment there's an acknowledgement of like yes like this is an extremely stressful situation and i'm not mm -hmm. handling it well not handling and, it well mm -hmm. and and the kids understand that in that moment of like okay yeah. like this we've never seen our mom have to deal with this kind of stress before but i do i i, I really love all the stuff with i, I I love her coming across the Johnny Steele Power of the Night music video while she's trying to read her little book and just being like, what is this crap? Like, it's <laughs> it's a perfect mob response. It really is. I love but yeah, I mean, I, Fuck, yeah, she's the, so I, good. I, but Billy Zane. Cujo. Um, I mean, Cujo, but, same uh, thing. Like, uh, the howling. Wonderful. But yeah, Billy Zane is in this movie, and I just love that he's included. Just, you know, for a quick little cameo and he gets like the most vicious like his yeah, fingers get bitten off yeah and he gets from what not. i understand they actually they actually had to cut that scene down mm -hmm. to miss an r rating so <gasps> like they had to like you were gonna say they actually cut off his fingers his ponytail his little <laughs> it's not it, i don't even know if it's uh proper to call it a full ponytail it's it's like no, it's a little um, rat tail. It's like a it's like a mullet yeah. ponytail. Like his it's mullet. like somewhere it's so weird. Like a guinea pig tail is that a, a term we can coin? Because it's like between a rat tail and a, it's like between yes, rat like and pony. That. It's it, it was it's it a wig. This, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would know. not put it past. I would not put it past Billy Zane to have that hair in when they probably filmed this nineteen eighty five. But his whole look is just. I I will say, considering everybody loves Billy Zane. I think Steve is one of the unheralded like '80s boyfriend characters. Like, I really he's do think it's like he's a beautiful yes. himbo boy, and not and not an, he does not get enough credit for being a beautiful himbo. He's so he's so nice because yes, when they go to the bar and he's just saying like, 
your your dad didn't even like me eating his cooking, you know, like eating his food. It's like, I don't think he's going to be happy. if kill me if they find us. I'm going to be dead. Yeah. So this was his second movie. So I wonder if he did have the hair. He was in Back to the Future was his first movie. That's right. Yep. Um, He's one of the Biff's thugs. Oh, that's right. But he does, he does, he gets, he gets what I think is actually the most violent shot in the movie in terms of what we actually see is when he's reaching up to uh, uh, fix the radio and a critter comes and bites his fingers bites off. His yeah. fingers off. And it's this great extreme close-up of the critter's mouth going onto his fingers. And mm-hmm. even though we don't see any fingers and he's just grabbing it and he's, you know, he's just doing the old trick of like, oh, I've just got my fingers pulled back and they got some blood. Then he gets one that just barrels into his stomach and bites him and starts eating him. It's like, yeah, this is the... Just eating them out. R.I.P. Steve, man. (laughs) Steve died hard, like, for us to know that the critters are a serious threat. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus Christ. Ugh. All right. Well, on that incredible note, do we want to wrap this up and give it our rating out of five? Sounds good. Let's There's do it. so much that we could talk about. I oh, know. One smash cut. I just I'm, I was scrolling through my notes, and one smash cut that I absolutely loved is when, gosh, I can't remember what his name is. The deputy gets gets shot with the needle and then yanked under the car, and it cuts to Helen using the garbage disposal. <laughs> and I love because right there it is so like you see him getting pulled, and you're like, what is happening to him? And then we see the food going down the garbage disposal, which is probably what it looks like. It is such a great little bit of a gag of like, yep, this is what this is what happened to the deputy. Yes, that, <laughs> right that, that's and a I just very, love that moment. very, very cute and very like that's a way of getting around an R rating type idea yep. of like, look, you're like, we'll smash cut to this and imply something way more violent than we can actually show. So yeah, wonderful yeah. moment. Hell yeah. Uh, All right. Terry. Yes. How many beautiful heads of Billy Zane's hair out of five do you give critters? You know, when I was, when I was adding this back to letterbox, I noticed that I had given it a 3.5 and that is a shame because this movie is a lot more. I, on this rewatch in particular, I was just taken back. It, it reminds me, it brings me back to being a kid, first of all. It brings me back to, like, that kind of horror movie that does not feel safe, but also is sort of safe. And I don't know, there's just the comedy in this as an adult is working so much better than when I was a kid and did not see any anything funny about this movie. I thought it was dead serious, and I was terrified. I can see the humor. I, As you said, Drew, I think that this movie works because it is pulling so many disparate things. The, it's because we are in space and there's goofy aliens and we have these bounty hunters that have neon green skin that change. We have like a home invasion. We have the, the kind of derpy town cops that are running around. We have – hell, we have um, Shay. Shay uh, – Lynn Shay. Oh, She's in here. That- Oh my yep. god, that's right, Lynn Shay is in Lynn- this. I, I, I can't believe – I'm very glad you noted on that because – one of the most important moments in the film for me, seeing it as a kid, was Lynn Shay's introduction. She's the, you know, pretty much the the radio dispatcher for the police, uh-huh. um, the, for the wonderful M. Emmett Walsh, uh, who is – this cast is just secretly stacked. M. Emmett Walsh has been old his entire life. <laughs> pretty much as, – as long as I've been watching him in movies. But her introduction is she's reading some kind of National Enquirer-type rag, and he goes, you know, so what's happening, Sal? And she goes, well, this here says – that John Travolta used to be a waitress in Fort Myers, Florida. And as a kid, I was, that is my hometown. That is where I was living when I saw the movie. And hearing that was this like, is somebody like, is this a joke? Like, is somebody pulling a gag on me? Like, (laughs) 
it, it was actually bringing it around to the whole idea of being scarred for life. Like, yes, you know, I, moments that were scary, but it also was a moment of feeling seen. Like it was like, oh my gosh, they yeah, said my hometown, my town home. which is, yeah, well, yeah, which is like, you know, you see New York or LA or other big cities that people, it's like, I'm sure you, you know, feel that way too, but they're really big I cities. Do. Hearing this, what I always felt is like, this is a, nobody knows about our little town. Yeah. Hearing that said in that movie was a moment of like, I am more invested in this even that more because now I've heard my hometown. Yeah. And that was an element of, of if not scarring me for life, certainly making a deep impression of understanding the importance of seeing yourself in, in yeah. fiction, like, well, you know, I, in, in any way, in any way. I would, I would also guess that it kind of terrifies you a little bit too, because it's, it, yes. it's it real. Like that's <laughs> yes. a real place. This isn't just a movie taking place in some random place. And yes, the movie doesn't take place in, in, in Florida, but like they mentioned Florida. And so that kind of grounds it a bit more, I would think. I mean, yeah. I mean, j just hearing Florida would have probably been, you know, cause it's always like, Oh, Hey, Florida, but hearing the town that you're in, that you grew up in, that is, the, the way you're watching the movie for the first time is like, okay, this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is really happening. But yeah, anyway. Back to your rating. <laughs> it's a four and a half. I think this movie is close to perfection. I love this movie so much. So I'm going to chop off a little rat tail and give it four and a half. <laughs> um, what about you, Mary Beth? Um, I'm also going to give it four and a half. I think this is such a quintessential like 80s movie, but is so smart and how it's hand it's like it on the surface looks like such an 80s movie but has such interesting things going on under the surface that you wouldn't expect i love how mean it is um i love that it's not afraid to again like buck with gender roles a little bit and having the dad get absolutely destroyed in, in the beginning and have him be dragged around by his daughter and his wife primarily i think there's some really cool stuff going on there like instead of having a dead parent and the kid having to be the dead parent we have the injured parent which i think is like a really cool trope that not enough movies play with yes i think there's just a lot of really cool things happening here that are subtly really fascinating for what this movie is and the effects are incredible i want a little guy i want a little crate <laughs> as a buddy and i just love how and then i also at the i mean and again i love kind of a bittersweet ending with their house exploding i like yeah they like they're all they're full they're alive but they're banged up and their house is gone and it's just like I mean, really it comes interesting back at to the very end though yeah it comes what? back at the, oh that's right that's right duh at the end where it like reconstructs and everything which it, is it, also it's funny a you really mentioned fucking that cool scene in terms of that, like, that is a reshot yeah. ending because the original movie yeah. did end with their with their house totally destroyed and they just left and then you see the critters eggs at the end and they reshot the ending because they were like it, it is too much of a downer they were like oh their home's that's just right. like what's going to happen to them so then they have the which by the way the the actual <laughs> The actual explosion of the house is not only incredible as an effect, it's a huge explosion. I like that the crate that, that that the Krites blow up their house just to be dicks. Just to be dicks. They pause and are like, yeah. the sweet <laughs> yeah. just... And like that's again, like they're assholes. They're agents of they're little furry agents of intergalactic chaos. Like yes. they don't really have a purpose, like a goal. Not purpose. They don't have a goal. They just like want to fuck shit up. And I love, we need more movies about little weirdos just fucking shit up. Like horror yes. movies specifically. Like there's enough like weird like, comedies that do that, but I want a new another horror movie that is little weirdos fucking Little weird shit. assholes. We do not have enough of that. And I think we need it. So, 100%. Drew, you have the final word. How many beautiful heads of Billy Zane's <laughs> hair out of five do you give Critters? I, I 
can't possibly even be remotely uh, attempt at, at objectivity here. It's it's five. This yeah. is yeah. I, this is one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Like it, it's something cool. that I can I can throw on at any time. But more so, I I also give it that because. It's a movie whenever I have introduced it to people and even if people know it or have seen it or like, oh, yeah, Critters. And they see it, it's like, you know, that's actually better than I remembered or better than I thought it would be. It's a really, really good script. Yes. Like it's just a good, yeah. tight execution of its premise with lots of flavor. I, I think that the thing that keeps it from being acknowledged as as a truly great movie is like, well, it's a silly B horror movie with little you know, ghoulies, I'm sure somebody has called them. Um, and it's like, yes, it, it is that too, but there's nothing that's, why would that ever be a negative? Like yeah. those are all positives in my book. Um, it's, it's still, I think one of the, the, the eighties movies, like when people think about the eighties, you know, like, Oh, back to the future and stuff. For me, I, I think of critters. Um, <laughs> sorry, my cat is an agent oh, of chaos. It has been yeah, a just... moment since we have heard that. <laughs> I'm glad I was here for it. She, she learns. That That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, she hasn't done that in a very long time, but she knows that that is the way to get her, herself out the door. Yeah, ah. little, little bitch. Anyway, but yeah. Five, I mean, and and pardon her for for Billy Zane's hair alone. I give it five out of five. I mean, um, you got it right. <laughs> you have. It's it's true. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Drew, for for joining us and bringing this movie. Thank you. So we could revisit it. Uh, where can the listeners find you? And do you have you? The floor is yours. If you have anything you want to plug or talk about, sure. Come come check us out at a uh, genre vision. We actually did an episode about all four critters movies all together. You can. Uh, we would love to have you as part of the genre vision club, genrevision.com or wherever you get your podcast. Just search genre vision, all one word. You can read stuff that I've written before at a, a Bloody Disgusting, of which I've been a contributor. Um, you can check stuff out at Giant Freaking Robot, and you can follow me on Twitter for as long as that uh, still exists, uh, at Drew Deach. Hell yeah. All right, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about Critters and then also the crit- other Critters movies? I'm very curious in hearing about that. Uh, send us an email at scarfredpodcast at gmail.com. Drew, what would be your rating? Is it one, two, three, four in terms of like the quality of those oh, films? Oh, in terms of the, the the series, yeah, uh, it would be probably one, two, four, three. Oh, four, three. Okay, yeah. I, I, if you ever want me to come back to talk about Critters movies, you do not have to uh, hesitate. But uh, yes, I would. I would say, and, I, and I'm not going to count the new binge or the new one. They're kind of outside of that. So, but uh, yes, what one, two, four, three? Hell yeah. All right, listeners, you can send us an email about your critter's thoughts at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McKaylee Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.